You may have heard someone described as being so heavenly minded that they are no earthly good. However, this is a far cry from the way the Bible describes the transforming effect of the gospel. Happy Advent season and welcome to the Radical with David Platt podcast, the latest sermons from teacher, author, and pastor David Platt delivered weekly. And as always, you can find thousands of more gospel-centered, nations-minded resources at our website, Radical.net. In today's message from 1 Peter chapter 3, David Platt points out the ways that God's people ought to be distinct from the world based on God's work in and through them. Our eternal hope radically changes the way we love and relate to one another. Today's sermon is about love, hope, and perseverance. So here's David with a sermon titled, Christmas Hope Creates Radical Love, from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. If you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does, that you can look on with, let me invite you to open with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, I love God's Word and how it speaks so clearly and powerfully to where we are in our lives, written to, in some cases, 3,000 years ago. So before we dive into it, though, I want to mention a couple of things. One, we have a congregational meeting this coming Wednesday night as a church family, which we've not had all year in light of COVID, but now that we're more physically able to gather together, we're going to try to have one this Wednesday for three reasons. One, I want to look back at what we've walked through this last year, including the new chapter of NBC that we talked about in June. I think it'd be really helpful for us to have some in-person dialogue about where we are, where we're going by God's grace as a church family. So that's one reason. Then two, there are all kinds of people who have joined our church family over this last year, even in a pandemic, and we want to formally affirm them. And then third, our constitution as a church requires us to vote on our budget for 2021. So I wanna invite you to come to any of our locations here, any other location except for Arlington. Uh, those from Arlington will come here to Tyson's, which is a significant side note, actually. We now have a new building in Arlington that we'll be renovating and getting ready for 2021. That's actually part of the budget. But we'll present the budget, vote on it this Wednesday, which we need a quorum of people to do. So I invite you to come. Obviously not if you uh, are sick or have particular health concerns, we'll have the same protocols that we have in place every Sunday for our gathering. So that's this coming Wednesday night. That actually leads to a letter that I sent to the church this last week that may already be in your inbox, may be coming in your mailbox, that just reports on ministry that has happened this last year in our church. And just writing that letter was overwhelming. Obviously, none of us knew what this year was going to hold, but the way you have stepped up and given and worked, I, I shared in that letter how over the past eight months, you have packed and distributed over eight and a half million pounds of food. Well, you just do, yeah, simple math. That's a million pounds of food a month for people in need all across our city. And every single box of food has contained the gospel message, leading to hundreds of people professing faith in Jesus. I praise God for you, church family. 
Amidst a culture where there's so much division and dissension, people debating over masks and mandates and people experiencing all kinds of frustration over when or how or whether to gather, in the middle of it all, you have chosen to lock arms and go to the front line of families in need, giving thousands of hours and millions of dollars to care for people, spread the gospel in a pandemic. And I commend you. And at the same time, Brothers and sisters, I want to challenge us. That's how I closed that letter. Let's keep doing it for anyone who is financially able. Obviously not everyone is right now. But for those who are, let's, let's think about over the next few weeks how we might give over and above our regular giving here at the end of 2020 so that we can go into 2021 stronger than ever, more committed than ever to spreading the gospel on the front lines of our city and around the world. Let me share with you a letter we received last week. So this one's from the city of Alexandria, saying, on behalf of the city of Alexandria's Department of Community and Human Services Youth, Youth Development Team, I want to express my sincere gratitude to McLean Bible Church for your sponsorship of our food distribution program, your generosity has helped to nourish countless families who face food insecurity, unemployment, eviction, stress, and anxiety, fear of COVID, and other concerns daily. Goes on to say, you are very organized, easy to work with, accommodating, extremely kind to everyone you interact with. We have a long history of partnering with local organizations to provide food to families, and by far, McLean Bible Church has been one of the best partners to work with. That's you. That's the grace of God in you, NBC family. They go on to say how their work in helping kids and families can't be done if those kids are hungry, if their parents can't feed their children. And they write, your contribution to our community allows our kids to have their basic needs met so that we can do our job better. For this reason, we consider you part of our team and are pleased to work alongside you to serve Alexandria's most vulnerable residents. So that's what I mean by commend and challenge. I commend you, church, for what you've done this year, and I challenge us, church, let's give over and above this December so we can do even more next year. Which leads right into God's word today, because this is what God has designed us as his church to be, a picture of his love to the world. Like when a world is brought to a halt by a pandemic by disease and death. God has designed his church to be a display of his love. When a world is full of tension and division and dissension, God has designed his church to live and love in a way that is radically different from the world. Precisely because we are residents of another world. Let me remind you what we've seen in, in First Peter. Remember our team name, had Kimball Walker up here? We're elect exiles in this world with living hope in the world to come. I have this rope out here again that I used early on in this series. And if you remember, we talked about how like, we think about our lives represented by this little blue area on this long rope. We look back into eternity past. So imagine this rope goes forever in that direction. And we talked about how we're people who realize God loved us before the world even began. 
called our names. And when we look forward, so imagine this rope going in this direction for all of eternity, it never stops. We realize we're going to a place at the end of our life here where there's no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more death, eternal life with God and everyone who has put their trust in Jesus. And recognizing where we are on this timeline changes everything about how we live right here. And specifically, I want to show you today, so let me put it up here on the screen, that the living hope of another world produces a radical love for people in this world. And I'm about to show you that radical is the right word. I want to show you how the living hope of Jesus in us, realizing where we are, where we're going, makes us a radically different kind of people right here. Kind of people who in the middle of a pandemic, we don't run from need, we run to need. Kind of people when a culture is filled with anger, bitterness and division and dissension and hostility and insult, canceling, accusing each other, we are radically different. Almost like an alternate society. Marked by, let me just read it straight from God. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you, in other words, so what Mike led us to see the last couple of weeks, servants, masters, wives, husbands, what we saw the weeks before, that's citizens of a government in any country. So no matter who you are, where you are, or position you're in as a Christian, you're in exile in this world, so all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. So let's just stop after one verse for now, and let's, let's write this list down. Like, what kind of people does the living hope of Jesus produce in this world, like in our lives right here? Well, it starts with unity of mind. Let's, let's call this a radical unity around God's word. Unity of mind. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean we're all just the clones of one another? We all think exactly the same? Well, no, and yes. No, not about everything. There's plenty of things we disagree on. Like who's the goat? As if Mike has that one figured out. But that's why I put this phrase around God's word here. Because this is the kind of unity we have in the church. And it's the deepest kind of unity possible. Let me, let me show it to you. We've already seen this in 1 Peter chapter 1 when Peter was talking about the kind of love we experience in the church, he said, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since, now follow this, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable 
through the living and abiding word of God. So what creates this loving unity in the church is what? It's the life we find in the word of God. For, watch this, verse 24, for all flesh is like grass and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Don't miss this. It's what we've said over and over again during these recent months in our city, in our country, that what unites us is not a political party or position or candidate. Why not? Because when we look at this rope, we realize political parties, positions, candidates don't last forever. But what does? God's word does. Political parties, candidates, what do they do? They wither and they fall. So do countries for that matter. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And politics is just one of a million examples of things that we could unite around. But this is why we will always come back over and over and over again to the fact that we are McLean Bible Church for a reason. Because we love this word. And we know that everything in this world will fade away in the days to come. Everything will. But this will last forever. So the unity we have around it, we love this kind of unity. And we realize this kind of unity is radically different than any other kind of unity you see anywhere else in our city, in our country, in the world. Like how else do you explain thousands of people from over a hundred different countries and all kinds of different thoughts and perspectives and opinions experiencing deep Abiding, eternal unity. That's only possible in a community that revolves around a word that lasts forever. A radical unity around the word of the Lord. Now, don't get the wrong idea that what Peter's talking about here is some cold intellectual assent to a set of beliefs in a book. Like, did you hear what verses 22 and 23 were saying? having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So this book, the word of God, produces new life marked by radical love, which now, okay, leads us back to 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 8, where the next thing after unity of mind around God's word is what? Sympathy. So now let's keep our list going here. What's next? A radical sympathy with each other. So we got unity of mind, then sympathy with each other in this world. This is such a great word. It means to feel with particularly when it comes to sharing hurt or pain with other people. And what a great word for us. At the end of a year where there has been and is right now so much hurt and pain on so many levels, God has designed us 
as the church to be a place where people step into each other's shoes in the middle of hurt and pain and we feel what others feel. We feel their hurts, pains, emotions as if they are our own. Here's the picture I have in my mind. I remember when my older brother, Steve, was getting married. So he's a hero of mine. You may remember the story of him being heavyweight state wrestling champion, big dude. So get the picture. He's getting married. I'm doing the wedding. So I'm standing there. Next to him, next to us, is our dad, who's Steve's best man in the wedding. Together, we're facing out. We're watching Steve's beautiful bride-to-be come down the aisle. When she gets to the front, Steve takes her hand and turns around toward me, and I look in his face, and my big brother is bawling like a baby. My big, tough brother has totally lost it. And then I look beside him, my dad, and he's crying like a little kid. And I was totally fine until I saw them. But all of a sudden, I lost it. I'm crying. I'm like, what, what just happened? And I'm the one with a job to do here. Like, I've got to talk. I'm bumbling through my words thinking, get it together, guys. So get the picture. I was totally fine, enjoying the moment even. No problem at all until my brother and dad turn around and all of a sudden I'm crying. Why? Because they were crying. It was automatic. I looked at these two men I love and I felt exactly what they were feeling. And that's what we are designed by God as his people to do. For this to be automatic in a fallen, messed up world filled with all kinds of hurt and pain. Like, just look around us here. I read an article last night about a couple playing miniature golf on vacation with their two kids, four and six years old, and all of a sudden, a, a pickup truck comes off the road onto the miniature golf course and strikes both of their kids and kills them. Like what a fallen world. That's just one example countless you could look out on your phone right now and it's not far from us this is where we live this is people in our church right now sick or with family members who have died of COVID this is marriages hurting right now this is parents hurting right now this is kids hurting right now it's people hurting and we have the hope of a world to come with no hurt and no pain but we're not there yet. So while we're here, when we come together here, we don't go at each other. We feel with each other. That's the kind of community we are here. In the words of Romans 12, 15, we rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. Which is a side note is why God has designed the church to be together, like in person. And it's why this year has been so strained because we're designed by God to relate to one another, not through screens, but with each other. In large groups and small groups and settings where we genuinely feel with each other according to his word, which leads right into the next thing on this. So the living hope of Jesus in another world produces brotherly love. Let's call this a radical sense of family that transcends biology 
in this world. Brotherly love. The Bible uses the word Philadelphia here, from which we get Philadelphia, the city of what? Brotherly love. It's a Greek word that describes the love that a physical family experiences with each other. God is saying, you think about physical family, that's the kind of love and commitment that I've designed for my family, the church, to experience. This is the biblical reason why we use the term NBC family a lot as a church. And even as I say that, I know that not everyone who has been a part of NBC has experienced the love of a family, which is why we are working nonstop behind the scenes right now so that when we're able to open up completely again as a church, we're gonna work to get every member of this church into a group that loves like family. So more on that Wednesday night. But realize, this goes totally against the grain of the individualism that marks our culture and marks us more than we realize. We live in a culture where individualism trumps community every time, such that if, if my individual preferences are being prioritized in a community, then I'll be a part of that community. But as soon as others' preferences are being prioritized, I'll even find another community that revolves around me. But we don't do that with family. So why do we do that with the church? I mentioned the number of people who are becoming members of NBC at our congregational meeting this week. And if you are one of those people and you've recently come to faith in Jesus or you moved here from another city, that's great. But if you are coming from another gospel-preaching, Bible-believing church here in the city, let me encourage you first to make sure you're not jumping from church to church. I always get uneasy when somebody says, I love NBC. Then they start talking about another church in the city, what they didn't like about that one. And I think, it's not gonna be long before you find some flaws here and you go somewhere else and you'll be talking there about what you didn't like here. It's kind of the way it works in a church culture where there are so many options. But this is not what God has designed for his people. God has designed his people to experience a radical sense of family that transcends as even greater than biology. And I think about brothers and sisters in this church family who when they came to Christ and this church, their physical family disowned them. I think of people I've spoken with who've been trembling, afraid to even be here because of what their family might do if they found out. I remember one congregational meeting, a brother in that kind of situation from a Muslim background who was becoming a member of our church that night, bringing him up on this stage and saying, we see you as our brother. You are our family. We are your family. Now, let me be clear today, just in case there's any doubt. We're not perfect. Your family of 10 people isn't perfect. 
Try one with 10,000. We have some crazy aunts and uncles and cousins around here. <laughs> amen. And I would add leaders. You can amen. That's fine. <laughs> leaders who, spoiler alert, don't always, 100% of the time, get everything right. But we have a father who is perfect. So do, we do everything we can and keep our eyes fixed on him. And he fills us with a love for each other that transcends our imperfections and our different perspectives, which is kind of the point. If we just find people who look like us and think like us, which is what we normally do in the American church, we divide churches according to skin color, politics, preferences, music styles, all sorts of things. But at that point, we've got to ask, what's really bringing us together? Our Father in heaven or these things on earth? But we're a different kind of people. Like we're elect exiles in this world. We're united by the hope of Jesus in another world, which means we experience a radically different sense of family that transcends biology, taste, or preference. We experience the love of the Father for every member of his family here, not just the ones who look or think most like us. Which means we have a tender heart. Let's write this down, a radical tenderness toward each other. A radical tenderness toward each other. What a word, a tender heart. I have a son turning 13 today. I think about when I'm playing out in the yard with him or we're wrestling in the den against Heather's wishes. Like we do things now that I, I didn't do with him when he was a baby. Remember when he was born? And we'd adopted our first son at 10 months old, so this was our first newborn. And we brought him home. He was so small and frail, I was afraid I was gonna break him. I've shared before, I remember the first bath we gave him in this little tub we had, and I pulled out the step-by-step -step instructions that the hospital had sent us home with, because I didn't want to do it wrong. First, wet the rag. Second, put a dab of light, tear-free, alcohol-free, bacteria-free, lactose-free, gluten-free, whatever else free, baby soap on the rag. And we're walking through this step-by-step, step, and he is wailing with his freezing cold water on him. And I know he's thinking, why did I get stuck with the rookie? This guy doesn't have a clue. But I was trying to be so tender with him, and that is the word that God uses to describe how we should relate to each other in his family with a tender heart, not with a hard, brash, harsh heart. Isn't this different from the world? A world where hard, angry, harsh, brash, sarcastic, accusatory, critical speech is so common. Just look at news headlines. Spend some time on social media. Just see what happens in a pandemic when people aren't face-to-face -face with each other anymore and they start relating to one another through posts and emails. Just see what happens when political leaders engage in name-calling and character slandering and everybody else joins in the fray. In the middle of it all, God says, not my people. No, my people are radically different. My people are tender-hearted. And it shows 
Why? Because my hope has transformed them from the inside out. And out of the heart, the mouth speaks. My people once had hard hearts, but I saved them from their sin. I gave them a new heart, a soft heart toward me and a soft heart toward other sinners like them. Which leads right into the final trait on this list. First, in verse eight, a humble mind. A radical humility before each other. A humble mind. In a world that shouts at every turn, advance yourself, God says, not my people. God says, my people humble themselves. We don't assert ourselves in this world. Remember, we're living for another world, which means here we actually lay down ourselves for others. We're not living for here. We're living for there, which means we put others' interests here above our own. Are you seeing this? This is a totally, radically different way to live in this world. When you have the hope of Jesus in another world to come, you have a radical unity around His word here, you show sympathy to each other in a world that is so painful. You love one another like family with tenderness of heart, with a humility that's always looking for ways to put others above yourselves. And if all of that is not radical enough, the last thing on this list takes the cake and it comes in verse nine. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Did you hear that? God says when someone does evil to you, or when someone reviles you, when someone harms or insults you, and watch this, God doesn't just say don't retaliate, God doesn't say, just stay quiet, which would be hard enough, right? Let's be honest. We are hardwired to retaliate. If not on the outside, on the inside. You hear, you read, you experience an offense against you. You rise up wanting offense in return. Regardless of how you may or may not act on that. And God says, don't do it. But he doesn't stop there, which he could have. God could just say, don't attack back. And that would be hard enough for us to do. But God takes it one step further. He says, bless them. Are you serious? It's absurd. Someone does evil to you, reviles you, you bless them. How is that even possible to bless people who insult and harm you? And God says it's only possible because of the hope of Jesus in you. This hope we have in another world here produces a radical resolve to bless those who insult or harm us in this world. Did you hear the language here in verse 9? For to this you were called. Christian, it is the calling of your life in this world to bless people who insult or harm you. That's your calling in life, to bless people who insult or harm you. This is straight from the mouth of Jesus. 
This is not just Peter, certainly not just me. This is Jesus, Luke 6. I say to you here, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Now to be clear, and Mike has hit on this the last couple of weeks, this doesn't mean you don't report abuse to appropriate authorities or take appropriate actions for your protection. We have already seen in 1 Peter chapter 2 as well as Romans chapter 13, God has given the government responsibility to protect against evil and to wield the sword toward that end. So don't take this verse here in Luke 6 or back here in 1 Peter chapter 2 to think, okay, so police officers are supposed to blast and be tender with people who are committing a crime. No, they're supposed to promote good for people and protect people from evil. Soldiers, when justifiable, are to do the same. So don't misunderstand. Maybe an example, though, will help of what this looks like. When you hear these words, think about Stephen. When he was being stoned and could do nothing about it, they're pelting him with massive rocks with the intent to kill him. Nothing he can do as these rocks are flying at him. So what does he do? He prays. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's radical love. And that's not easy. I just think about ways that I've been insulted or slandered. The hurt that causes. I'm not immune to it. And I know I haven't even come close to ways so many of you I know have been hurt and harmed. What God is saying here is not easy. Actually, it's impossible. Apart from the hope of Jesus. It's impossible apart from this bigger picture. So Christian, listen closely. Non-Christian, those of you who are exploring Christianity, listen closely. This is what Christmas hope is all about. In the big picture, you and I, all of us, are sinners before a holy God. We have rebelled against God with evil in our hearts. We've all turned from God's ways to our own ways. And we all deserve his just judgment for all of eternity, forever. But God loves us so much that 2,000 years ago, he sent his son, Jesus, to be born, to live in the sinful world, and in radical love for sinners, to die on a cross, to pay the price for sin, so that anyone, anywhere in this world who trusts in Jesus will be forgiven of all their sin and evil against God, Restored to relationship with God to experience eternal life with God for all of eternity. And when you experience that kind of hope in God, that kind of love from a holy God toward you and your sin and evil, you are now free to love 
the most evil, injurious person in this world with a radical love for two reasons. One, because you know that God's justice will prevail in the end. You know that evil will not have the last word in the big picture. And two, because you actually desire mercy in that person's life. You desire their good. Why? Because you know where you would be were it not for God's mercy in your life. Maybe another way to put it. You don't return evil for evil here because the greatest hope of your life is that God will not return evil for evil to you here. You see it now? Like the living hope of Jesus in another world produces a radical love for people in this world. And this radical love is not just for others' good. It's for our good. You keep going here in 1 Peter chapter 3, right after verse 9 and verse 10. Peter quotes from Psalm 34 in the Old Testament. He says, for whoever desires to love life and see good days. Think about that. Just let me ask every person listening right now, do you desire to love life? Do you desire to see good days? I think everybody wants this. Like who among us would say, I, I just want to hate life. I want to see bad days. Like no, we're all on the same page here. This is God saying to all of us. So teenager, senior adult, anywhere in between, child, like the youngest of the old, do you want to see good life? Good days? Love life? God's saying, here's, here's what you do. Whoever desires this, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. What a phrase. Like, think about how different our dialogue would be if we were always seeking and pursuing peace, which is what the Bible commands, Romans 12, 18. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And that's talking about with people outside the church who do evil to you, all the more so inside the church with sons and daughters of God. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Oh, there's so much here. Can I just summarize what we just read? Let me summarize it in two statements. One, when we love like God has designed us to love, the kind of radical love we've been talking about, we just saw in verses eight and nine, then we will, according to God, enjoy the good life and experience the blessing of God. The good life in this world Involves radical unity around God's word to last forever, radical sympathy with each other, a sense of family that transcends biology, tenderness toward each other, humility before each other, and a resolve to bless those who harm or insult us. So can I just pause then and ask you a couple of questions? Supposing you want to live the good life, one, do the people closest to you see this kind of radical love in you? Just honestly ask, do the people in your home see radical sympathy and tenderness and humility in you? Do they see in you a radical resolve to bless other people who do evil 
or bring insult to you. Think about your closest friends. Do they see this? And you, your extended family. What about the people you're, you work with? Do your coworkers see this kind of love in you? Teenagers, do other students around you see this kind of love in you? Or here's a second question. Do other people in the church see this kind of radical love in you? So think people beyond your home, your closest friends, maybe people who are even less like you. Did they see this kind of radical love in your life? As I ask these questions, I want to encourage you based on the word of God by the hope of Jesus in you as an elect exile to consider one or two practical ways this week that you can show this kind of radical love to people close to you, people in the church. You might even ask somebody, maybe a few people who are close to you, how can I grow in sympathy or tenderness or humility? And just see what they say. Then think about creative ways to show this kind of radical love to other people you don't know as well in the church. And I challenge you to do this, not just for their good, but for your good. Knowing that when we love like God has designed us to love, we will enjoy the good life, experience the blessing of God. Did you hear the beauty of the language in verse 12? For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. This picture of intimacy and relationship with God, which is the key to the good life. But then, did you hear what verse 12 ended with? But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. In other words, if we don't love like God has designed us to love, we will miss the good life and experience the opposition of God. That's what God is saying to us today. He is saying, my face will be against you when you do evil. When you respond to evil with evil, my face will be against you. And the same thing goes for the other things listed in verse eight. Humility. God makes clear all throughout his word. He opposes the proud. You are prideful, you will experience the opposition of God himself. Tender, sympathetic, brotherly love. God opposes anyone who treats his children harshly. Unity of mind, God opposes those who divide his people. In other words, God takes radical love in his church very seriously in this world. And it all hinges on the hope of Jesus in another world. So I want to do something as I close that I hadn't planned on doing until I received an email late last night. As I was looking over my notes for today, it just popped in. And I want to read it to you, at least a portion of it. It's a long email from a church member. And I'm just going to put on the screen the two verses we started with, verses 8 and 9, a summary of what we've heard from God. How the living hope of another world produced a radical unity, sympathy, sense of family, tenderness, humility, and resolve to bless. And I just want you to hear what these words look like in real life. 
So here's the email. I've changed names because I didn't have time to ask anybody for permission to share in a way that would draw attention to specific people. But dear Pastor Platt, I started attending NBC about the time you started to preach on a semi-regular basis. So that would have been two or three years ago. At that time, I was still healing from my parents' passing and an unexpected divorce. I was living alone without any family in the area. Through the help of a pastor, I got connected to a group led by John and Ashley. I was the first single person without children grafted into their group. It has been almost two years that I've been a part of this family. Not long after I met them, I was laid off and I had to return my company car. John and Ashley insisted that I I use their car while I looked for a car to purchase until I could land a new job. I asked them when they wanted their car back. They responded, whenever, we aren't worried about it. They said that their car was a blessing from God and they wanted to bless me by having a vehicle to drive. Thank God that I was able to get a new job within a few weeks. Fast forward six months, several group members offered to help me tackle neglected projects around my house post-divorce. An army of them came to my house in waves. They purchased furniture, laid sod, and planted bushes at the front of the house, picked weeds, and pruned rose bushes in my backyard. They replaced old and weathered lighting fixtures, moved my router, purged, organized, and more. Their love and support brought me to tears. In March of this year, I became unemployed again, this time due to COVID. A few months ago, I was about to run out of money. Several group members helped me pay some of my bills. I promised to pay them back, but they told me not to worry about it. John and Ashley were faithful for over a month to make sure that I had groceries. They either took me grocery shopping or they would shop for me. Most important of all, they were praying for me. God blessed me with a new position that came about on September 28th. His timing is perfect. And she goes on talking about how much she's learned from God's word through John and Ashley. This group, how she's seen God's love and marriages and families and their love for neighbors, their involvement in outreach. Then she writes, because my family is in Florida, I decided to stay in Northern Virginia for Thanksgiving. John and Ashley asked me weeks before Thanksgiving to join them. They have become my local family. And then she asks at the end, what would our church and city look like if we had these types of relationships and groups scattered all over the most powerful area of the world? Thank you, Erica. Now, she had no idea what I was preparing last night as this email came in. But I would say, Erica, indeed. Unity, sympathy, family, tenderness, humility, resolve to bless. It's true, church. The living hope of Jesus in another world produces a radical love for people around us in this world. So let's, let's be the people God has designed us to be. Can you bow your heads with me? As you bow your heads, close your eyes in this room or wherever you are listening right now, I just I want to ask you first and foremost, do you have the living hope of Jesus in you? Like I wish I could just... One-on-one, ask every single person with the sound of my voice, like, do you have the living hope of Jesus in another world in you, like, where you know if you were to die today, 
You have eternal life with God in heaven because you've put your trust in Jesus to save you from your sin and bring you into a relationship with God. Has he changed your heart in this way? And if the answer to that question is not a resounding yes, I invite you right now just to pray to God where you are and say, God, I want to become a part of your family today. Today, I confess my sin before you, the evil in my heart. I, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin, and today I put my faith in him as the one who can save me from my sin and lead me to eternal life. Give me eternal life. Today, I receive your hope in my heart. I invite you to pray that to God and as you do, to know that God in heaven hears that prayer and answers it. Saves you from your sin, draws you into his family, transforms your heart, gives you his hope through faith in Jesus. And when you do, and for all who have this hope in you, let's, let's ask God, help us, oh God, to live with radical love for other people in this world based on the living hope we have in our hearts. God, make us this kind of people. We, we know what we have seen, heard from your word today, today goes totally against the grain of the world around us and totally against the grain of the flesh in us, the propensities we all have in so many different ways. So God, help us, we pray, to love like this. We pray that you would make our lives, this church, a place of radical unity around your word, radical sympathy with each other. Give us a, a sense of family that transcends biology. And we pray for radical tenderness toward each other, humility before each other, and God, we pray that you would help us to bless those who insult or harm us. For, for their good, for your glory, and we trust for our good. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is not too late to join us for our Advent reading season. And so we invite you to use one of our three Advent guides on our website. He came to us, a son is given, or Christ our hope, and follow along with us in this journey through Advent readings. You can download either one of them for free today on our website, Radical.net. Just navigate there and search Advent. Well, that's all for today's episode. I'm your host, Thomas Bowen, and until next time, join us there at Radical.net.